0: Have someone very special come and he's gonna read for us in Yoruba. So he's gonna come and he's gonna read our text this morning in another language. This is his native language. So he's gonna come and read it for you. You're gonna follow along in English, and he's gonna read it for us in Yoruba. We're thankful for the diversity of culture and language that's here this morning. God bless you. Come and read. We're gonna turn our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 and we're reading from verse 28. And he's gonna read it for us and then we'll we'll read it in
1: English. You re Isaiah. That's uh edit log bong. I thought we know. Take Buckway, a long Ayurai, Olua, a letter to go, if I boy, O are a Ani are you more? I want a You're zero. Shubo, patapata. Shubo, Duro Duro Awesome
0: job, that's amazing. So uh, we're going to turn in our, our attention to the word of the Lord this morning from Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. And I'm thankful for what God has to say through his word. Hopefully you read along with him uh, this morning. But that last little passage. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for what you're going to say to us. Today, Lord, I pray that you would move by the power of your spirit in our lives, transform and change us, and let us be filled with your spirit. Let there be a move of your spirit at the end of this message today as we pray and seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a popular passage of scripture. It's often quoted, they that wait upon the Lord, that's sung in different songs, lyrics used. This this that passage of scripture to to write songs and uh, it's so cool how the the poetry translates from Hebrew into English so beautifully. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I I'm thankful also for the. Uh, the trajectory, oftentimes we, we think you'd start on a walk and then move to running and then move to flying, but God often does things backwards. He starts with flying, moves to running, and then leaves us off with walking. So, uh, because often, I mean, for those of you that have young children, uh, it's it's not an untrue statement to say that they, they, they fly around the house. And uh, <laughs> until you have, I don't know if this is true for other parents in the room, until you ask them to go for a walk, and then they're tired. <laughs> <laughs> but five minutes before, they were they were race tracking around the house. And I say, okay, well, let's go outside, go for a walk. No, I'm too tired. I don't know what it is about that, but uh, it's it's something. Uh, and, and and children often are flying around the house. They've got that wings as eagles approach. And uh, later on in life, they, they go a little slower, but they're still moving quite fast. And eventually, you slow right down to a walk. And for most of us, walking is enough. Uh, we're, we're okay to walk. And I love this trajectory of, of humanity. From No matter where you're going, no matter what age you're at, no matter what stage of life you're in, the Lord is there with you. Throughout every season, whether it's a flying season, a running season, or a walking season, God is with you throughout every one of those stages of life. But to properly grasp what Isaiah is saying, it's helpful for us to know the context of this passage of scripture. And in this particular passage, we're actually reading halfway through the story of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet that was uh, uh, given to the nation of Israel, and he was he was there to call Judah back to God from their sins. The short form of the story, if you want to throw up this the first slide for me there, Brother Garfield, the book of Isaiah can actually be divided into two sections, chapters one through. 39. Isaiah is giving God's message of judgment against Judah's sin. And then chapters 40 through 66, the tune changes almost immediately. And that focuses on the hope that God gives his people while they're captive in Babylon. And uh, the, the common thought or understanding of the book of Isaiah is that Isaiah wrote the first 40 chapters or the first 39 and then Isaiah's disciples or those that were under him wrote the second half after Isaiah had died and that I now he's writing this second message the spirit of Isaiah that that prophetic spirit is now calling on Israel to have hope in the midst of their calamity and so the big question for me was well why? is Israel on this side not captured and not in danger, but now on this side they're, they're slaves in a foreign land. What happened? What happened to Israel? What happened to Judah? Why is it like this? And to understand that, you've got to go to the next slide to see how the nation of Israel was supposed to be. Actually, go to the, the next one. I'll come back to that one in a second. Uh, actually, I didn't organize these very well. Next one, sorry. Next one. Where's is the Israel? There it is. This I should have organized it a little bit better. Um, when you study the history of the nation of Israel, when they began, when Moses led the people out of Egypt and into Israel, and Joshua and the, the children of Israel established themselves in the land, they lived there for many years, then Samuel came along. Samuel was a prophet and a, a, a priest and kind of a judge over the nation. And, And he helped them establish government and and, uh, there was a period of time called the period of the judges. There's actually a whole book devoted to it in the Old Testament called the Judges. And it's stories of how the nation of Israel was uh, led by uh, men and women who judged the land. And they weren't kings, but they were just like government leaders that that the nation was small enough that one man, one woman could lead with the help of the different tribes. And then King Saul comes along in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, uh, you read about King Saul. And King Saul uh, was the first king of the whole entire nation of Israel. You see the two colors there, but they were really one nation. All 12 tribes represented in this one nation. King David comes along, shortly after that you read about David and Goliath, you might have heard of that story, might read of David's exploits and how he became king and Saul chased him around and didn't want him to become king but God established him anyway and David was the golden era of Israel he was the golden king and reigned for 40 years at the uh, end of David's life he set up his son Solomon to take over and Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem the temple of Solomon is regarded as one of the ancient wonders of of the world, it, it was a beautiful, magnificent piece made of marble and gold, and and uh, much of uh, of the excavating areas you can still visit today. You can go to Solomon's quarry in Israel and view the stones that they did not deem were good enough. They are still there. They're cut, left in the quarry. Uh, ready to take to the temple, but for whatever reason, they didn't meet the cut, so they they stayed there in the quarry. And and, uh, Solomon built that in the capital city of Jerusalem. But Solomon kind of fell away from God in his reign of 40 years, and he married over 700 wives, all from different nations, for the sole purpose of uniting uh, and getting allegiances and all this kind of stuff. his 700 wives led him astray from God and God's will and God's plan for the nation of Israel. The people begin to worship false gods. They begin to fall. Their, their society begin to fall into disrepair and corruption was at the center of the the thing. And prophets would come along and try to to uh, turn the people back to God. And one of the prophecies given right at the end of Solomon's reign was that because Solomon had turned away from God and fallen away from worshipping the one true and living God that God was going to divide the kingdom God was going to allow the corruption to take over God wasn't going to stop the division and the disunity and the corruption from affecting the nation but that corruption would end up splitting and dividing the nation so Israel split into two different nations the northern tribes The northern 11 tribes versus the one tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is the family in which David, Solomon, and eventually Jesus would come from. And they were deemed to be the the lineage of the kings. The tribe of Judah was from where all the kings of Israel were supposed to come. But because they had sinned, they had denied the Lord, they had walked away from him, God allowed the division to take place. And so now you have two kings. And for most of the book of Kings and Chronicles in your Old Testament, you'll read about the king of Israel and the king of Judah. And as long as you can keep those two names separate, Israel is the northern kingdoms and Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel. The capital of Israel is Samaria. This is in the Old Testament, in the books of Kings and Chronicles. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem. Now, the nation was just descending in a a terrible spiral. Israel had no good kings. The northern kingdom's kings were wicked and evil to the extent where they would sacrifice children to their false gods. They would definitely allow bloodshed and uh, violence and slavery and all of the wicked and evil things that a nation could be, Israel became that. And so at about, uh, uh, if you go back a couple slides, <clears throat> not that one, this one. In 720 BC, the Assyrian Empire, which was the, the, the... The empire that was ruling at that day, it was the big boss of the day, came along and captured the northern kingdom of Israel, the capital of Samaria. Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, was a little bit better than the northern kingdom. They They were a little bit more righteous. They had better kings. They weren't perfect. They had some pretty bad ones, but they had better kings And uh, so they lasted a little bit longer. God's mercy allowed them to stay in the land longer than the northern kingdom. But Assyria comes along and captures and takes captive the the northern kingdom of Israel. And you can read about that in your Old Testament. And you'll read the different prophets that forewarned the coming of the Assyrian kings. And there's even a portion of, uh, of Isaiah that talks about Assyria where, where God writes to Judah and says, if you don't change your ways, if you don't turn around from worshiping false gods, if you don't stop practicing sacrifices to these false gods, then, then I'm going to allow Assyria to come and capture you and take you captive. But Israel, I'm sorry, Judah decided that they were going to listen to God. And at the last second, turned their hearts over to God, and God protected them from the onslaught of the Assyrian nation. Listen to the opening chapters of Isaiah. This is Isaiah writing to Judah and Jerusalem in particular. And he says in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, Listen to the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God of Gomorrah. What makes you think that I want your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings, of ram, of the fat, of the fatted cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And when you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all of your ceremony? Now you might think, well, I thought that's what you wanted, God. Didn't you say you wanted me to sacrifice to you and you alone? And and, and verse 13, he just says, Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. Stop, stop praying to me in this way. The incense of your offering disgusts me. And as for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and the special days of fasting, they are sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I can't stand them. When you lift your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims, Wash yourselves and be clean. Get sin out of my sight. Get up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If you'll only obey me, you'll have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. God was making a clear line to them. He was was drawing a line in the sand. He was trying to get a clear message to them. That your, your religious offerings are meaningless without a lifestyle to back them up. Your, your your servitude of worship and your your devoted prayers and celebratory offerings and feast days don't mean anything if they're not backed up by a life that is dedicated and consecrated to doing my will in your life how can you come and worship after you've just killed someone how can you come and offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to me after you've just backbited and, and stolen money from a widow or, or treated an orphan poorly? How can you you turn your head towards me in prayer and ask me to meet your needs when you aren't meeting the needs of those that are in your care? God was calling a nation to repentance because repentance is more than just a verbalizing of, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. But repentance is a lifestyle change. and and please understand, God doesn't expect us to change everything at once, but oftentimes when we change one thing, when we determine to turn our lives over to God in in one particular area, eventually that has a ripple effect, and and it leads to change in other areas. You ever notice whenever you decide, hey, I'm going to really work on my health, and so you change one thing. Maybe it's the, the way you eat or the time that you, you decide I'm going to have one extra exercise into my life. It begins, it, change begins change. It's easier to change something else. When you change one thing, small, it's able to move on to the next thing. And so it is with repentance. When you turn your heart over to God and say, God, I'm finally going to start responding to your word. Then it becomes easier to make other changes to transform your life to following after God. But the problem with Israel and with Judah was they were hardening their hearts. They were hardening their hearts of the people. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10 says, Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes nor hear with their ears nor understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. God was saying, When you prophesy, Isaiah, every time you open your mouth, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work like a hardening of the heart. The skin has an amazing feature in it. It's the largest organ in your body. And the skin has this amazing ability to create a layer of skin to protect an area that is frequently being poked, prodded, and used. It's called a callus. When the body senses that a particular area of your skin is being used frequently, skin cells are constantly being damaged and replenished in that area the body takes note of this and says this is a high traffic area this is an area that requires more fortification it's kind of amazing that your body you don't even think about it your brain is doing all these calculations all by itself your brain is is like a computer you know recording how many times does that part of the body get touched how many times does that part of the body get used? When, when people are learning to play the guitar, when they start, there's a lot of pain in the fingers. Because if, while they're learning and they're, they're running their fingers up and down those strings on the, the, the neck of the guitar, the skin is being damaged, and it gets sore after a while. But after a couple of weeks of playing, that, that pain goes away, and they no longer feel the pain on their fingers because a callus has developed over that skin to protect it. It's a protective barrier. The body knows it's keeping track. That's so amazing to me. The body keeps track of how many times tallies it up. Oh, this, this, and then it calculates. It doesn't just count it, but it calculates. It says this portion of the body is this much percentage more in use than the others. Let's add some more skin layers to that part of the body. And this is where a callus is formed. And it protects the body so it no longer feels the pain of regular touch. God is talking about this sort of thing that the more we hear preaching, the more we hear the word of God but never respond to the word of God, we begin to develop a callous on our hearts. And it the, the same word of God that when we first heard it pricked us and we went, ouch, ooh. That hits home. That same word now hits us, and we don't feel anything. We don't sense anything. We don't, we don't even maybe even notice that God is speaking to us anymore because we he, our heart has become hardened. There is now a callous because we heard the word but did not act on the word. And so the more the word came and touched. That particular area of our life, the more God's word exposed something in our life, a callous begin to develop. And it was just like the nation of Israel. The more they heard the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, the more they heard the prophecies of these men that came along and said, turn away from sin. Turn away from the things of this world. Turn away from mistreating others. Turn away from lying and from stealing and from from backbiting. Turn away from immorality and turn away from the worship of false gods. The more they heard it, the more they developed a protective layer on their heart and their ears that stopped up the effectiveness of God's word. Moreover, they added to their sin a rejection of God. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1, Isaiah writes, he says, what a, what sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. For without consulting me, you've gone down to Egypt for help. Isn't this funny? I mean, I find it funny. Egypt was the place that enslaved them for 400 plus years. That never, and still not left the psyche of the mind of the Jew because they still celebrate Passover and talk about the celebration of God, delivering them from the bondage in in Egypt, and to this day the Jews are still conscious of the day in which they spent 400 plus years enslaved to the Egyptian rulers. And yet, Here they are, not thousands of years removed from that very moment in history. Only hundreds of years removed from their slavery in Egypt. And they have gotten so far away from God, they're actually going back to Egypt to ask for help. Israel got word. Judah got word that Assyria was on the prowl. They got word that Babylon was on the prowl. They're they're getting a little nervous. And just like every other kingdom, when you hear that another country is pressing in, you make alliances and allegiances with stronger companies to fortify your defense in a battle. Not only have they added to their forsaking of God's law and God's worship and God's principles of living, but now they're turning to the one that enslaved them before for help. They're returning to Pharaoh. They're returning to Egypt and asking for help. It's adding insult to injury. God was the one who rescued them from Egypt. Now they're going back to Egypt to ask for help instead of turning to God and repenting of their sin. Instinctively, they knew if we return to God, we got to change our lifestyle. If we turn back to God, we got to change the way we're acting. We got to change the way we're living. We got to treat our widows and our orphans better. We got to start worshiping God and stop worshiping these false idols. We got to get rid of our immoral, sinful lifestyles, and we got to start living holy and separated from God. We got we got to stop lying and stealing and murdering and plotting and gossiping, and we got to stop all of these things. and And, and if we're going to get God's help, we got to turn our life around, and we'd rather live the way we've always lived, and get help from someone else, then turn back to God. God told them in Isaiah 30, verse 17, He said, Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. You turn to Egypt, but you're not realizing that the nation you're turning to is the nation that enslaved you at once in history, And so the Lord urges his people, he says, turn to me and be saved. And this is the repeated message of scripture and what God is trying to repeat in your ears this morning. Please don't turn a deaf ear to the word of God. Don't turn a callous heart towards him. God wants you to know that only in returning to him and resting in his ways will you be saved. You won't be saved by finding aid some other way, some other method, some other a uh, 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 way of doing it. You're going to find your salvation, your rest, your peace, your hope. Your answers to life's questions will be found in complete surrender to God and his ways. Therefore, the Lord earnestly waits to be gracious to you. He lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and show you loving kindness. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied are those who earnestly wait for him. So Isaiah prophesies. He says, It's Syria's on their way, guys. You've you got to change your ways. Judah, you've got to turn it around. Israel's done for. They're, they're already. They've already been attacked. They've already been besieged by by, by uh, uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And now uh, Sennacherib's turning his attention to Judah. You need to turn your heart over to God and repent. And they did. The Bible says that Hezekiah, the king of, of, of Judah, repented and submitted his life to God. The Bible says in Isaiah 37, verse 1, that when King Hezekiah... Heard the report, he tore his clothes and put on burlap and went into the temple of the Lord, and he prayed, and he turned his life over to God, and he said, God, I'm sorry, we've we've transgressed your ways, we've turned against your laws, and we've we've rebelled against you. And you want to know what happened in chapter thirty-seven of the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, That night. That same night that Hezekiah turned his life over to God, the angel of the Lord went out into the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers. And the Assyrian soldiers woke up the next morning and found corpses laying all over the battlefield without a sword being lifted, a bow being shot, or a trumpet being blown. When the people of God turned back to God, God fought their battles on their behalf. God kept his protective promise. That if you would repent and turn your life over to me, and if you'll surrender your, wife, I'll fight your battles for you. I'll, all you'll see a victory. You'll go to sleep one one night after repenting, and you'll wake up the next day, and things will begin to turn around in your situation. Things will begin to turn around in your life because you've made a decision. I'm not just going to lip service, God. I'm not just going to do it on Sunday or Wednesday, but I'm going to live it on Monday. I'm going to live it on Tuesday. I'm going to do. Do it on Wednesday. I'm going to do it on Thursday. I'm going to turn my life to God by acting out what I believe. I'm going to repent. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to 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 change my attitude. I'm going to stop immoral lifestyles and and living against what God says in His Word. I'm gonna I'm gonna live honestly and and I'm gonna speak truthfully and I'm gonna treat the widows and the orphans, well, I'm going to give, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to do the things that I know to do. But Hezekiah, he fell again. He delighted in the ways of the Lord for a while, but eventually he fell. Assyria and Babylon were kind of at the, the crossroads of exchanging power at this time in the world scene and and Assyria, Assyria decided that they were, they were going to try to take over. But Babylon slowly and incrementally grew stronger and stronger. And eventually Babylon took over and, and defeated Assyria, taking captive of all of Assyria's land. And Babylon became the new power of the day. But before Babylon was fully its great power, it sent a little message to Hezekiah congratulating him on his victory over the Assyrian nation. And uh, Hezekiah thought, well, that's pretty cool. Let me just show the king of Babylon around and show him how wealthy we are and how well off we are and
1: and uh, impress him a little bit with our, our treasuries. And so
0: Babylon began to count the cost. How much would it take for us to capture the nation of judah and isaiah writes a message to hezekiah says you've done foolishly you've you've doomed the nation of judah because you're putting your trust in the king of babylon instead of putting your trust in god and so he basically tells hezekiah eventually if you don't change this pride you've got going on in your heart it's going to end in destruction That's exactly what happened if you put the slide up of the picture of Babylon. This is an artist's rendition. But Babylon lay siege to the nation of Judah. Babylon came in and about five eighty two BC and laid waste the whole nation of Israel. Judah destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the temple, destroyed everything, set everything on fire tore down the walls of Jerusalem and the people were led away from their homeland and that's where if you ever read the book of Daniel you're reading well into their Babylonian captivity a period of time in which Israel was no longer a nation but Babylon had taken over and laid captive the whole nation of Israel And I know I'm taking time this morning to bring you back around to that verse we started with in Isaiah chapter 40. But this is where we come. This is the the long road back to that verse. And we come back to that verse in Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah, the writer of the book of Isaiah, is now pending a different message. Because they've been captured. They've been taken hostage now. Their sins have led them to the place where they're enduring the consequences of their sin. And you say, well, that seems like a pretty harsh consequence. Is God going to do that to me? Is he going to send me to be a slave in someone else's house if I do something wrong? And you have to understand, this was a, a nation of people, and this was over many, many years of warnings and urgings to do right. Why was God being so severe with this nation? There's a map picture with an arrow on it if you want to throw that one up there for me. This is what's known as the Fertile Crescent in the Middle East. And what's interesting is this is a, because it was so fertile and so lush and so good, everything was impassable deserts around this particular area. This was the center of the then-known world. Every society passed through this highway down to Africa, up to Europe, and over to Asia. Wherever your destination was, you were likely to have benefited from this area of the fertile crescent. And God puts his nation, the nation of his people, thank you, Erie, right in the middle. She's clapping. She knows what's coming. She's, this is a good point. He puts his people with his word and his love. And his Israel was different from every other nation of its day. If you do comparative study of the, the societies in, in the Middle East at the time and compare to the laws of the Old Testament, you might read through the book of Leviticus when you get there in your Bible reading program and go... Ooh, this was a lot of laws for one little nation. And some of these laws, I don't know if I agree with them. I think they're kind of, they're wrong. And it's, you know, laws about slavery. Shouldn't they just have abolished slavery? But you have to understand, the nations around, there were no laws for slaves in Egypt. There were no laws for slaves over here. There was no laws for slaves in Europe or in Asia. Anybody that had a slave could treat them however they wanted. And God sent laws to his people and said, Now, now, if you have a slave, you can only have them for so many years. And if you have a slave, it's because they're in debt and you're trying to help them to get out of debt. And if you have a slave and, 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 and you beat them, then you have to pay for their medical costs. And if they lose a tooth, you have to pay for them reimbursement for that lost tooth. And if you poke out their eye, then you've got to pay them for the lost eye. And if you, in, in process of disciplining your slave, and you beat them to the point of death, then you will have to die because it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. These were laws that did not exist in any other nation of that time in that world. God also gave them laws for widows and orphans to take care of the, the what would be known as the dregs of society. In every society... Widows and orphans are often forgotten about. They're often treated as the, the the thing on the bottom of people's shoes to be scraped on, scuffed, and and and, and largely obliterated in the scheme of, of life and the world. But God gave his people laws. He wanted them to be different from the rest of the world. He wanted them to be separate. And holy. And exhibiting righteousness and holiness. Because righteousness exalts a nation. Why was God wanting that so bad? So that his message. Would get spread. As people traveled through Israel. They would see what kind of a prosperous. And beautiful nation. God was establishing here. And that by the virtue of them being righteous. God would exalt them. And make them great. When Solomon was at his peak. The queen of Sheba. His fame was known all over the then known world. Queen of Sheba comes and travels to Israel just to hear Solomon speak the wisdom that God had given to him. Why was God? God wanted his nation to be an example to the rest of the world that this is what Eden was supposed to be like. God was trying to restore his people, his creation, his humanity back to the place where they once were. God wanted them to be an example, but instead of them being an example for righteousness, they became an example for mockery, because they knew what Israel used to be like, and they saw what Israel was today and they saw that Israel was really no different from the rest of the world and i've heard people in the world say that i don't know why i would change and become a christian when i've seen some of the way some of christians live and i live better and i'm more holy and i'm i'm a better person than some christians i know why would i give up this that and the other thing to be worse than what i am now and this was why god allowed them to be captive And taken away because in God's eyes it was better to have no representatives here than to have the wrong representatives here. God would rather have no witness at all in this highway of humanity than to have the wrong kind of witness. God would rather be no nation of Israel there exemplifying his name, carrying out his laws and living according to his name, called by his name, than to have an imposter living in the place of influence. And so God allowed his his people to be captured. He allowed the the sins of their their actions to live out on them. And the decisions. He did not protect them from the onslaught of all nations. But God didn't leave his people there. God didn't leave his people in that situation. And so we come full circle to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 6. And God begins to tell his people. Though you think your enemies are like stone and like bronze and like brass and they're immovable and they're not going away. You're captives in a foreign land. You're prisoners in another nation that you don't have and you don't own and you have no way of getting out. But I want you to know people are like grass in Isaiah 40 verse 6. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers of the field. A grass withers and the flowers fade, but beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. There was a feeling among the Israelites that while they were captive by the most powerful nation of Babylon that had ever graced the face of the planet, now they were in a place where they, the Bible says they hung their harps on the willows. They refused to sing. They refused to sing the songs of Jerusalem. They refused to sing the songs of Israel because they were captives in a foreign land. They saw no way out of their situation. They they even called out and said, we recognize that our sin has led us into this captivity. Our sin has led us into this problem and we can't even sing the songs of, of your goodness is running after. It's running after me. I can't even sing that song anymore because I know where my sin has taken me and and the mistakes I've made are now staring me in the face. And my life is riddled with the consequences of my sinful actions of the past. And so I don't even know. It seems like I'm in a permanent situation where I'm captive by a foreign land and unable to move forward. I don't know where you are this morning, but sometimes we may find ourselves in a place where the consequences of our sin loom in front of us. Like a brass wall or a, a a impenetrable fortress, but God says, "I want you to know, grass withers and the word the the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God is really the thing that will stand forever." I want my people to have hope. I want my people to have have joy even in the midst of their consequences, even in the midst of the the consequences for their sinful actions of yesterday. God wants you to know that He's coming in power and He's coming in might and he's going to deliver you speedily if you'll begin to turn your heart over to him if you'll begin to turn your life over to him and one thing after another just begin to turn it over to God one one step at a time I I was talking to a, a gentleman last week who was telling me that he was living in witchcraft he was uh, doing seances and all kinds of things he was living a life of, uh, of reading tarot cards and reading fortunes and he was living this life Steeped into witchcraft and he decided he was just going to read one verse of Bible from the Bible every single day He was just going to read one verse and that was it. So he'd open up his phone and he'd read one verse and close his phone and shut it off. He said, some days I didn't even read my Bible, but I, I said, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to read this. See what's in this book. What's, what's, what's the hubaloo all about this, this thing called the Bible. And, and he said, then one day I realized I was reading five verses and he said, no big deal. Just five verses. What's the big deal? And another day it was 10. And then another day it was, it was a whole chapter. And then he said, one day I woke up and I started reading the Bible and I looked up at my clock and it was five. Five hours later, I had been reading the Bible for five hours straight and God began to do something in his life. What was it? Was it a drastic change? Did he change everything about his lifestyle? No, but one verse at a time, God began to change his heart. One thing at at one step at a time, he began to turn his life over to God and give his heart to the Lord. I want you to know that all it takes is one little step at a time for you to turn. You might look up and say, I'm still in Babylon. I'm still surrounded by the consequences of my sins in the past. Just like Israel, just like Judah, they were still captives in Babylon. They were still captives in a foreign land. The consequence of their sin, the reason they were in Babylon, was because they forsook the word of God, and they stopped doing what God told them to do. And so God allowed them to be taken captive into a foreign land. But now they're looking around at this. We don't even have the energy to sing. We don't even have the hope to sing. We've hung our instruments up, and we're not even picking them up but the prophet wrote in the bible and he wrote in isaiah chapter 40 he said the sovereign lord is coming in power he will rule with a powerful arm see he brings his reward as he comes he will feed his flock as a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms holding them close to his heart. He will lead the mother's sheep with their young uh, and God begin to return back to his people and says if you if you have all these problems in your life I want you just to begin to turn your life back over to me. i will bring swift judgment. i will bring swift judgment against your enemies. You see while the Bible has lots of judgment in it There is verses in the Bible like this, in James 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. You may feel like your life is surrounded by the judgment of your sin, the judgment of your past mistakes. The judgment of your past failures. Uh, And I look around sometimes and I see the memories of the things that God has brought me out of. uh, Are enough to encapsulate me into a prison of my own making. And I look around and say how could God ever love an old sinner like me. How could God ever uh, love someone who forsook him. Uh, I was raised in the church. I was baptized when I was six years old. God filled me with the Holy Ghost the day before my sixth birthday. I should have known better. I should have made better choices. I should have gone on those websites. I shouldn't have done those things that I did. But I did. And those memories crop up from time to time. And create a little internal prison in my mind. And then I read the word of God. And I see that mercy triumphs over judgment. Yes, I did those things. But when I come into the presence of the Lord. And I lift my hands. The weight of those shackles falls at my feet. Because mercy is stronger. And has greater victory over judgment. God has the power to turn your captivity just like he turned the captivity of Israel and Judah. His mercy knows no ends. He, his mercy knows no limits and no bounds. And so the, the, the writer of Isaiah chapter 40, he says, Hast thou not known? It is concluding verse of today's message, but it was the one we started with. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he fainteth not. Neither is weary. And there is no searching of his understanding. I'm going to read this to you as though Isaiah was writing it personally to you. Are you ready? Have you not known? Have you not heard? That the everlasting God, the God who has always been there. He was there from the moment that you were just a little zygote in your mother's womb. He was there when you were just a fetus, unable to sustain life on your own. He was there. Have you not heard the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? uh, He was there when the earth was formless and without void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. That same God is there, that you may think as ignorant of your circumstances, and doesn't know anything about your situation, and where was he when I was in this circumstance, and where was he when I was in that circumstance? I don't have all the answers for you, and I can't make sense of all the hurt and the pain, and the circumstances you through, but I want you to know that God was there and God is here today. He does not faint. He doesn't grow weary and there's no searching of His understanding. I may not have all the answers, but if you put your trust in Him, He'll turn that, that, that garbage pile of your past mistakes into a rose bed. He'll turn those things around. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might He increases strength. I don't know why people go through trauma. I don't know why people go through hardship. I don't know why people get taken advantage of and mistreated. All I know is that the only thing I can say is it's a sinful world. And God, God, I, I, I just can't answer every one of those questions. As to why it happened to you, I don't know. I don't know why it happened. I don't know why you were allowed to go through that circumstance, but I want you to know That God cares. And he's able to take what was broken and destroyed and redeem it. I wonder at the the redemptive power of God. How could he take a nation so broken like Israel, captive in a foreign land of Babylon, and turn them around? I don't know, but he did it. He did it. And so he said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I don't know the whys. I don't know the answers to all the questions. But I do know that if you wait upon the Lord, he will renew your strength. He will renew your strength. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says wait? And I'm closing with this if you stand with me. The word wait means to entangle yourself with it. Do any of you have a vine growing in your yard? I do. And that thing is determined. It's going to conquer my house. And every year, multiple times in the year, I have to go and teach that vine who's boss. And my vine gave up and put shoots under the fence of my property and started climbing up my neighbors. He's far less aggressive with taming the vine And so the vine decided it can't have the Bryson house, so it's going to have the house next door. And it's doing a very good job covering up the house next door. The Bible uses the word "weight" the same way we would see a vine growing around a tree. To wrap yourself around and entangle yourself with to the point where the vine and the tree are indistinguishable from one another. They become one. And so the Bible says, wait on the Lord doesn't mean waiting in line at Tim Hortons' drive-thru. Impatiently wondering what in the world could take so long for the person in
1: front of you. They're, the menu, you know what they serve at Tim Hortons. Why is it taking?
0: Uh, that's not the kind of waiting the Bible The Bible is telling you to wrap yourself around. Those that wrap themselves around the Lord shall renew their service. It's the while you're waiting for God to bring an answer to your circumstance. While you're waiting for God to turn things around in your life. While you're waiting for God to bring some kind of healing or peace for the trauma or the trouble or the circumstances of your past. Wait on the Lord. Wrap yourself around him and he will renew your strength. He will renew your strength. If you wrap yourself around His Word, if you wrap yourself around Him in prayer, when every time you bring something to Him, He does not weary or tire of listening to you pray. Even if it's the same thing time after time after again, what am I doing? I'm wrapping myself around Him. If I wait on the Lord, if I entangle myself with Him, and like a vine, stick to Him and never let go, and find another tendril to wrap around His arms, and wrap around his word and wrap around him in prayer and in fasting. The Bible says I will renew my strength. I'll mount up with wings as eagles. I'll run and not be weary. I'll walk and not faint. We're going to take some time to pray this morning. Why? Because we're going we're to wait on the Lord. We're going to wrap ourselves around the Lord and find renewal for him. From him. For our, our sickness, for our trouble, for our problems, for our circumstances. We're going to wrap ourselves around him in prayer. We're going to wrap around. I don't know where you're at this morning. What what stage of, of living for God you're at. If you're at a, a repentance stage. If you're at a renewal stage. Or if you're at I've been living for God and I'm doing great stage. I don't know if you're a wings like eagle stage. Or if you're a running stage. Or if you're just a walking stage. But wherever you are, would you find a place today to wrap yourself around God? Turn your heart back to him in prayer. Turn your heart back to him and repent. Turn your life over to Him one step at a time, one verse at a time, one, one movement at a time, but would you begin to wrap yourself around a God that loves you and He'll bring understanding for the questions that you're troubled with. Can we find a place of prayer this morning around this altar? Find a place of prayer and talk to the Lord. He cares about you. He's not tired. He's not weary of you. He's not tired of you asking or praying or talking. But he wants you to renew your strength this morning. The youth are going to be weary. Young men will be feeble and exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Would you wait on him this morning? Find a
1: place of prayer and talk to the Lord for a few minutes before we leave you today.